You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are doing our countdown for Halloween. And right now, this is one of the spookiest, most scariest episodes we are ever going to do. And we are going to be looking at the 50th anniversary of Scooby-Doo. That's right, folks. The mystery-solving dog and his human companions. That's right. Scooby-Doo is actually the leader, of course, as we all knew that anyway. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about how he's evolved over the last 50 years. And speaking of evolving over the past 50 years, let's welcome Mr. Mike Gordon to the show. Howdy. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, You know, zoinks and jinkies. I can't believe it's been 50 years. Uh, 50 years of Uh, Scooby-Doo. It's actually quite amazing. So every once in a while during the shoe, I'll be tossing you a Scooby snack. <laughs> please. Yes, please. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do. I do work for Scooby snacks. That, that would be the most pay I've ever got from doing this show. Yeah. And you know, Hey, I've given you free food before on the show once or twice, you know, yes. that's not bad over 10 years. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Anniversary cake doesn't count, buddy. Uh, okay, fine. Whatever. Whatever, but we've got a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to dive in with both feet. If you definitely want to talk about Scooby-Doo, please send us your MP3s or comments at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. We always love hearing from people at home. And also, don't forget, you can always subscribe to our show up on any kind of the internet platforms that you you know listen to any podcast to, so any of them where fine podcasts are found, you'll find Earth Station One there too. So I think that's pretty awesome. So you know, please you know subscribe, tell your friends, give us a rating, or even you know leave us feedback. We always love to hear from that. Of course, we have to give a special shout out to our patrons. If you you know want to help support the ESO network, we do accept Patreon credits that's right folks you can join patreon for as little as 25 cents a week i know a lot of you out there are already members of patreon supporting other shows but it would be great if you guys could actually you know throw a couple shekels our way or even a couple scooby snacks we'd even appreciate that up on patreon it would be be pretty awesome you know we'd just be going ha 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 you know (laughs) there the whole time so it'd be kind of cool so Please, you know, you could do it really easily at patreon.com slash ESO network. All right, let's jump in. We got a big rants and raves this week. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced their 2020 nominations for, you know, to get into the class. And we have Michelle joining us. Welcome, Michelle. Hello. So do you want to go over the nominations for the new class or everyone who's nominated? And then we'll go around and talk about who's our picks are. Um, well, I think we can just, uh, I think usually we just go one by one and then, uh, we'll just say whether or not we think they have a chance and what they're, how they're doing. Right. Okay. So, because yeah, this is, yeah. Even though this is our, our spooky month, I guess there's nothing scarier than the nominees for Hall of Fame. <laughs> Some of these are pretty scary. Well, that's for sure. an, in- an interesting thing about this year's, uh, ballot, there's a lot of people on it that are no longer with us. 
Mm. Yes, that's very true. odd. Yeah. Um, it's always we've always considered it sort of a, a handicap in the past. Being dead can be a boon for your career, but not so great for your hall chances. Um, but they've kind of tossed that out the window this time. Maybe because Jan Winter's leaving, they thought, "What the hell? Let's just let's just do it." But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, people from the great beyond. So cool. I think. So yeah. Um, sorry, Mike. No, all I was going to say that that's very true. It's interesting how many people are have departed, and who aren't part of this. And I'm thinking it'd be great to see, you know, some of the people, other nominees, and we'll talk about that at the end of the segment, like a wish list or something. I think would be kind of cool. Who we would love to see to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does have a have a you know unfortunate history of getting people in after or just after mm. they've passed, which is you know, and I think a couple of people on here that we're going to talk about, uh, I don't think ever would have been nominated, um, but their deaths prove that they were a lot more popular and influential than I think a lot of people thought them as. So, um, but yeah, let's uh, I guess start right from the beginning, go alphabetically with. Uh, one of my favorites, my favorites uh, that I've wanted to be, when I was at the Hall of Fame, I actually, uh, this was one of my choices to get in, and that is Pat Benatar. Yeah. Can't believe this is her first nomination. I'm actually shocked it's taken this long for her to Me be nominated. Because, you know, she's been recording since the late 70s. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And another thing about this ballot, um, which you will see by the time we get to the end, for the last year, there has been um, a grassroots movement asking the hall to, as Janet said from the podium last year, induct more women. And the hall blew us all off. Yes, they did. They truly did this year. No. They, they have, out of everyone here, they have three, three. Nomin- nominations. Yeah. Three women, yeah. Three yep. women. And one of them is part of a band, so in, yeah. This, yeah. in this case. Yeah. But uh, no, Pat, um, you know, I don't think like, look, if you don't think Pat should get in, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know you. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And 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 a lot of people feel the same way because she is uh, overwhelmingly leading uh, the vote so far, the fan vote. No. Is is that surprising to you, Mike? No, not at all. I'm a little surprised that some, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. I'm not shocked that she's high up there, but I'm shocked she's leading. But I knew she, I knew she'd be getting in this year. Mm. I think you know, there's a couple of these that were nominated this year that were a lock, and I think she was one of them. I hope so. I hope and, so. Um, do you know, um, Michelle? Have you heard from? Uh, like as we go down the list on these artists, uh, how they're responding, you know, is there, are we going to have possibly another, you know, situation with dire straits or Radiohead or something looming because some of these, um, you know, they've got a history of, of sometimes nominating people that just really don't care. <laughs> so do we, do we know if, uh, uh, or even a resent the thing, but uh but do we know, so for example, do we know if Pat has, has acknowledged it? Is she happy? Uh, so far, Pat has not acknowledged her uh, nomination, which a few people have found odd. I don't know why that is, but hmm. she has not officially re- recognized it. Well, hmm. Does she have a, like a big um, like fan base that's actually pushing the fan vote, do you think? Uh, or is it just people are just like, yeah, yeah, she just I, 
I think she just has such broad appeal to men and women that, uh, that it's, I think it's a done deal. Exactly. I agree completely. And if you were alive in the early 80s, anytime you turned on MTV from like night, when it premiered in 1981 until probably 84, 85, it was all Pat Benatar. Yeah. I th- wasn't she like the second. second video play? Yep. Yeah. She was video number two. Wow. That's some trivia right there. Mm-hmm. Who was the se- Everybody knows the first. Yeah. But who was the second? Pat Benatar. Well, what was the last video music video played on, on MTV? Was that uh, that was probably in 1999? <laughs> that would be that's a trivia question. What's the last video music video ever played on MTV? Um, all right. So then the next one is. Uh, so all of us are in favor of Pat. Yes. All of us are in favor of Pat. Yes. 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 She is the one that I'm most excited about this year. So I'm happy for her. Okay. Dave Matthews Band. I'm totally up for Dave Matthews. That's cool. I I acknowledge that they're popular. Oh, they're extremely popular. To this yeah. day, they're still popular. Absolutely. Are they, are they still together? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Okay. I they're, did not know that. They tour every year, and they're kind of like... Right? like kind of like the fish grateful dead type thing band the jam band type era they get the same kind of crowds and everything and they i don't think they've had a top 40 hit probably in over 10 years but their albums sell really well and they're extremely popular they sell out wherever they go you know when they tour how are they doing in the vote fan vote um they are six okay and they're they are literally right behind Judas Priest in the voting. Gotcha. Yeah. The only um I guess the thing with me is that I think that they're like I don't know, I still think of them as n- like not not new, but like there's a lot of folks that I think should get in before that. You know what I mean? There's a couple I mean, I, pe- there's a couple I, people on this I I think, you know, deserve to get in before that aren't even nominated. But, well, yeah, yeah. but yeah, but I think I think they're almost a shoe in for this because they're it's also. Like, can we make sure everybody from the '60s and '70s is in before we start voting for '80s and '90s bands? <laughs> well, the, hall, the hall is signaling big time that they're done with the '60s. Oh yeah, and they're pretty close to getting done with the '70s. See ya. So, so long, monkeys. Not yeah, you don't exactly. have a chance. Exactly. That's a travesty, though. The monkeys not being in there. But we'll talk about many, that later. One of many. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I okay. Know. So, in, is this Dave Matthews' first time not yes. being nominated? Okay. Yes. All right. So then, next up, Depeche Mode. Now, this is not Depeche no. Mode's first time. This is their second. This is several. Okay. I thought it was more than second. Is it second huh. or third? I think. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, yeah definitely um, influential. Oh, very much so. But mm-hmm. I feel about Depeche Mode what you guys feel about Dave Matthews. <laughs> fair enough and and everything and i would wow, like that to, bad. No i would i would <laughs> pretty much i would love to see them um get in but they're not that far ahead of dave matthews and judas priest that they might probably are going to fall down i think that we talked about it before last year or whatever and i think that the cars getting in opened up the door to more new wave and alternative music acts getting in. And when we saw that last year with the, with the cure, cure. 
So I think that that there's a, they're definitely recognizing that that's a form of rock and roll that they want to endorse, that they want to salute and honor. So I think Depeche Mode will get there, but there's another band here on this list that I think uh, probably deserves to get in before them. Um, so I, I can't say yay on Depeche Mode right now. I think eventually, yes, but not this year. I don't think this is their year. What do you think? How, how are they doing in the fan vote? They're number four. Oh, wow. Okay. So I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lot of people don't agree with us. Right. All right. Next up. Doobie Brothers. Now, is Doobie's... 60s late 60s seven seven early 70s okay late 70s into early, and i was actually shocked when i saw that they had not been in introduced already into the hall of fame yeah i think a lot I, of people a lot of people are yeah i think i think they're a lock i i gotcha. do too actually how are they doing in the fan vote number, number two. two gotcha well yeah so uh and i think this is now, before, I don't want to keep going back to Pat, but I think this is the first time that a woman has ever led the fan vote. Yeah. So significantly. I think so, yeah. So good on you, Pat. Um, but yeah, the Doobie Brothers, uh, yeah, I don't have any problem with them getting it. Is Michael McDonald already in, in some other no. capacity? No. For some reason, I was thinking he was. But Oh, he, he will never make it in in any other capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say, but no. <laughs> Uh, um all right so we, we yeah so we definitely think doobie brothers should get in or this is their year i do t- definitely okay uh are they the oldest band no, on no. this no not? okay interesting all right so we'll get to that and then next up whitney houston whitney houston i look i think she's gonna get in uh i don't know if this is this, her year especially if you know the women are divided as far as uh, uh, i don't know who to pick but you know, Although she's not in the same lane as Pat, she's not really even in the same lane with Shaka. But I, th- I think she could siphon votes away from Shaka, and Shaka could end up being a bridesmaid again. I th- Sorry, I, spoiler there. I think <laughs> I, the problem is I think I for a while I thought Whitney was a lock, but then I'm starting to think maybe she might be this year's Janet Jackson. Yeah, I do too. I can't believe it took so long for Janet Jackson to get in like three times. times. So, um, I mean, she seemed like a a first ballot no-brainer right away. And Whitney seems that way too. But history has shown me that that is probably not going to happen to her. Mm -mm. So, so, And unfortunately, yeah, so we've already talked about, is she the first one that uh, is not around anymore? Or is the Doobie Brothers? Are they still around? Uh, there's, there's certain members that have passed already. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, but, but she's you know. the first significant loss, uh, right? Yeah, but Michael McDonald is alive. Pat Johnston is alive. Um, I feel like the big three guys. Mm-hmm. The big three doobies. The big three doobies are alive. <laughs> yeah, and they still tour, and uh, I've seen some clips, and they sound great. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, go see the Doobie Brothers live. Also, Chicago, because they went back. They're not the Peter Cetera Chicago anymore. They're right. the big band, you know, loud horns and everything. From they're the not even the dude that at, was after Peter Cetera because he left too. So <laughs> no, exactly. I don't know who's there. <laughs> I don't know who's with Chicago. But uh, the dude that was after Peter 
Yeah. All right, so is, is Adam Lambert doing that also? <laughs> so, that's next up for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, all right, so I don't think you, we could go from uh, one <laughs> act uh, further apart than another on this list because after Whitney Houston, we have Judas Priest. Freaking the nah, yeah. freaking the nah. I'm surprised they haven't been nominated before. They, this is their second nomination. Apparently, the last time they were up, which I think was two years ago, maybe two, three. Two, I think three. it was three years ago because it, it was before um, we were doing this. Yeah, they did very poorly in the official voting. They did pretty well in the fan vote, but poorly in the official voting. So I was a little surprised, but very pleased to see them on the ballot. They should go in. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I mean, that, if you're talking about heavy metal, that aspect of rock and roll, I mean, Priest has to go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not huge radio wise, but sales wise and live. I mean, I've never seen them, but, and I'm not, you know, I'd only have like a couple of probably Priest songs on my iTunes on my iPlayer, but, um, but still like, they're just, they're like Black Sabbath, you know, they're just like, they're a band that just, you just is right up there that should get in. Yeah. And, and they, when they go in, they open the door for Maiden. So, yeah, because I think Maiden is next once they get in. Right now, would Judas Priest be? Because the lead singer of that is gay, right? Am I right about that? Rob Halford's gay. Yeah. Yes. So, does that have anything reflected on the vote? You think? No. I don't think so. Not anymore, right? No. I mean, that's like that's old news, right? No, it's more because it's heavy metal. Gotcha. Yeah, me, yeah. The hall has a well. The not just the hall, but the fans too. You'll find that the fans have a like not a problem, but a lot of them can't get over the fact that rock and roll is so diverse. Yeah, and I don't mean like color or orientation or anything like that. I'm talking about like styles because you have heavy metal rock, you have you know um, rhythm and blues rock, you have pop rock, you have there's a lot of different types of rock, and a lot of people don't see that when they see rock and roll they're kind of thinking you know it's going to be you know something guitar heavy um you know something more along the lines of the doobie brothers and pat benatar to a point um but yeah so priest is not uh i think it yeah i still i think they should get in they got my vote maybe my, they're on. I'd like to see them in, but I'm not 100% sure they're going to get in. Um, once again, we have a diversity <laughs> between uh, acts on this list because uh, we go to, and I know this is not their first nomination. It's their fifth or sixth craft work. Ooh, and someone someone craft, on the board really wants them in. <laughs> and, and, and rightfully so. They are the forerunners of, they are the forerunners of Depeche Mode. They are the forerunners of EDM and pretty much everything you're hearing right now. Anything like electronica that is craft work. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, but I don't think they're going to get in. I don't think this is their year. There's too well, many, certainly there's too many other strong things. Yeah, and the fans don't. If they if they're going to get in, it's going to be a board decision, not a fan decision. That's going to be one where the board just goes. Well, it's not. It's not the board. It's the voting committee. I mean the voting committee. Yeah, sorry, the voting committee. It's because somebody whoever wants them in who keeps putting them on the ballot is going to convince everybody. All right. Like to stop bugging us. We'll, we'll, we'll vote them in. Um, what is their, what is their status? Are they still alive? Is it still around? Yeah. Yeah. They're way on the bottom right now, according to the fans though. Gotcha. They're like second, they're third from the bottom. 
Well, I mean, you know, even though they're influential, you know, it's it, for the average person, they're not really relevant. They've never had a big hit, you know, like, you know, like they've never had like classic album that everybody points to. I mean, you know, if you know your stuff, then you know craft work. Mm-hmm. But if you're just looking at like top 10, you know, if you just grow up listening to Casey Kasem, you know, you have no idea who craft work is. Well, exactly. The only thing I know by Kraftwerk is that they did the theme song for Sprockets on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's quite novelty. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think their only hit in the U.S. was one from the late 70s. And it was called Autobahn. Hmm. Yeah. That's why I don't think they're going to be getting in so quickly. Yeah. 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 And then we've got another one here that's, man, they've been on this ballot almost every year, it feels like, as well. This is like, this has got to be, is there a limit, like, how many times you can be on a ballot before they finally go, yeah, no, this is not really your thing. (laughs) You're not, just keep stopping. I mean, because I noticed, you know, the spoiler here, I noticed that uh, Sheik isn't on this ballot. Sheik's? Sheik disappeared from the ballot when Nile Rodgers was given the musical exit. Exactly. Because ah, right, right, right. Sheik so, was on year after year after year. Yes. and they 11 kept, times. Yeah, exactly. 11 times. And they kept on getting less and less. So they went around the voting and they gave uh, Nile Rodgers a lifetime achievement award. And yeah, that's right. how he got, and that's how and they kind of basically, said exactly. It said, we're done with Sheik, you know, pretty gotcha. much. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, and they do have a, like, there's that slot, like the way that Sister Rosetta got in, right? That, that you can get in that way, Mm -hmm. which I think Kraftwerk might get in that way, as well as maybe this next band, which is, uh, you know, MC5. MC5. Which is, they are one of the oldest acts on this list. Yeah. And, but again, I mean, like, if you know your music history, if you know that stuff, you're familiar with MC5 and you know their influence is, is still heard today. But if you, like, you know, they didn't have, you know, the hit that, like, you know, everybody listened to every summer, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not known as, like, a huge live band. Yeah. I don't, I don't see their fortune changing this year. Oh, MC5? They're a huge live band, Mike, actually. They were no. I mean, you don't for, hear about them. Oh, no, not I mean? not anymore. No, but they were really big late sixties, early seventies once again, and you know they just reunited not that long ago. But oh, wow. it isn't. You know, they're not. You know, the top of everyone's charts, but they've influenced so many artists, and I think that's why they're still on the nomination. Gotcha. Now we have. This is so awesome and yet so frustrating. <laughs> and and just the biggest surprise to me on Tuesday when I saw this ballot, Motorhead, on the same ballot as Priest. They are going to split the the heavy rock, hard rock vote, and it's going to be a mess. It's, it's nice that they were nominated. It really is, and they should be in. But if I, you know, prior to Lemmy's passing, I might have said, I don't know if they really deserve, like, I can't really see them getting in. But once Lemmy passed, I mean, that was, that had ripple effects throughout all of rock and roll to the extent that I was from, I was surprised at how much his influence and how much uh, people were well regarded him and that mm-hmm. band mm-hmm. and, and cited that as an influence. So um, that's the one I was talking about earlier when I was like, this is, I think it's only after his passing that we realized 
like unfortunately for you know for him and the band uh yeah it's unfortunate that we just realized too late that that they were as influential as they were because they were just this little to me i just thought they were this little heavy metal band from england and lemmy always said we're not heavy metal Mm-hmm. Well, little, yeah, yeah, a little rock band, right, or something? What did he call them? A rock band. Yeah. Well, he was drunk most of the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I, I do not see them getting in though. Yeah, unfortunately, no. no. I mean, if this was like two years ago, right after his passing, they might have ridden that wave and gotten right in, but not now. Yeah. So, um, all right. Next up, uh, heirs to the. Distant heirs to the Kraftwerk Electronica, uh, Nine Inch Nails for, I think, their sixth nomination. And I think they're going to be a bridesmaid once again. I do, too. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's frustrating because, to me, they're another one that should be, like, a first ballot in. I mean, the influence that Nine Inch Nails has uh, and their popularity still to this day. I mean, Trent Reznor, I don't know if you if the alternative scene is even half is what it looks like now if it wasn't for Trent Reznor you know like that that guy is as influential as you can get Mm -hmm. um and yeah it just seems like you're right though I mean with Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode on the same ballot it's kind of like are they going to split the vote you know exactly and I think they're they're going to be going against each other and I just think they're going to be a bridesmaid once again yeah. Now, how are they doing on the fan vote? Are the fans still behind them, or are they like, oh, not again? They're uh, they're, eighth or ninth. Uh, w- they're way past. They're below Motorhead. So, oh, wow. yeah. Now, um, of course, we should point out and remind people that are listening that uh, the fan vote is means oh, hardly anything. Really, it means one vote. <laughs> it, it means, means yeah. one vote. <laughs> it means one vote among how many? Do we do we know actually how many are in the committee? There's about a thousand on the official voting yeah body, so it's like a fan- lot of the artists don't vote they all get a vote if you're in the if you're alive and you're in the rock and roll hall of fame you get a vote which means bon jovi has a vote and wow you picked on him yeah <laughs> and the cars have a vote and the three john votes- oates has a vote john no they're yeah they're in yeah yes. john oates has a vote yes. <laughs> um now, and of course, once they pass, like if they're passed, then nobody gets that vote, right? It's not like their descendants or anybody no. gets a vote. No. Right? Not passed down, right? I know, being silly, but just asking. Um, That's one of the fr- uh, frustrating things about Whitney Houston. She's gone. She can't get a vote. So it's another woman that will not be giving her voice to the voting committee. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Janet, you would think that she would make some you know, some noise, like, cause we're certainly, um, you know, I, I know that some people, once they get in are kind of like, now we can try to swing things our way. You know, mm-hmm. certainly, uh, Dave Grohl, you know, uh, felt that way. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave Grohl is on the committee. So yeah. oh, he's on the committee as well. He so helps, he helps pick he's who's going to get nominated. Yeah. Dave Grohl does like everything in okay. rock. You can't yeah. do anything in rock and roll without getting Dave Grohl involved. Mm-hmm. And he all does it with a smile. He does. All right, so Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails. I, they've got my vote, actually. I, I really want Trent and them to get in. Uh, I, I think that they belong in. They might as well get in now. I just don't see why they, they should, we should wait. So, uh, but what about you guys? No. 
Not this year. Excuse me. I would love to see them in. I don't. I have a feeling it's not going to be this year either. Gotcha. All right. Next up, Notorious B.I.G. I'm torn on that one because he really represents East Coast rap, and he died at 24. Whew! I didn't realize he was that young. Yep. He died very early, and you know he died very violently too. Mm. You know because it was the whole thing between B.I.G. and Tupac, you know, East Coast versus uh, West Coast. Is uh, is Tupac in? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, Tupac's in. Gotcha. So. Yeah, he got in on first nomination. Yeah, the hall has been trying, the committee's been trying to get LL Cool J in, which you know, historically, in the order of things, he should have been in a while back, and it just has not stuck. So they're cycling off of him for a while, and People have been looking forward. This is the first year uh, Biggie was eligible, and everybody knew he was going to get the nomination. It was it was like the free space on the bingo card if you were picking. So, what do you guys I, think? He's he's a shoe in. He will probably get in. He will get in probably. If Whitney <laughs> doesn't, if Whitney doesn't get in, he's going to get in. Gotcha. Because they also for I hate to say it for, like this way, but because of diversity too. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and that's uh, important too. I mean, I'm not. I, you know, I know, but I I don't want to be that guy. Who just I says, see you. No, says, no, I hear you. Says he's just getting in because of you know type. Oh, of right, right, right. Well, look. I mean, I think I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't think anybody on this list is somebody that I'm like. Oh, they shouldn't. Why are they even on this list? Oh, he deserves it. Yeah. Completely. So so it's just a matter of. I think all of them. You can make a case that they should get in. It's just a matter of who needs to get in now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, you know, B.I.G. is like, he's already passed away. So what's the rush? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get Pat in so she can be there in person. You know, if you keep, if you, if you keep inducting dead people, there's going to be no concert. You, you get young current acts to do tributes. Yeah. All right. Next up. This time around, it was with Rufus. We have Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Sometimes they try her as a solo. Sometimes they try her with Rufus. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, somebody wants her in. Yeah. Come on, talk, folks. Tell me something good. We'd really need to get this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the only song I know by them, though. That's the thing. By them, yes. Uh, actually, Ain't Nobody is a Rufus song. I always think of it as being a Shaka song, but it's a Rufus song. Really? I, that, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but it's... I think they're not going to get in yet, again. I think, you know, they've been on as long as I can remember, you know, in some form or another. And Shaka deserves to be in there. Yeah. And everything. So, you know, let's hope that they... So somehow some miracle they can get in so i'm just saying all right now we got for his second nomination second consecutive year on the ballot mr todd a wizard a true star run yes who i had can say that i've seen live more than almost any other popular <laughs> artist ever i don't know why uh certainly any other hall of famer i've seen him live more than any other hall of famer well or would be hall of famer uh let's put it that way um that's just worked out that way. Wonder why that is. I have no idea. <laughs> so, um, you know, what is there to say about Todd? I mean, I think he should get in. Um, you know, but you know, he's not. He's the guy that people are like. I mean, even 
um, you know, they're doing that tour now with the uh, 50th uh, anniversary of White Album, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got all these people like Mickey Dolenz is on that. Um, you've got all these. Uh, Chris um, Cross is on it. Chris right. Cross is on that, right? So, um, and for all the people that are on it, you know, um, people, even people in the know that I've talked to are like, wow, we saw that and we had no idea. We've never seen Todd Rundgren before. We had no idea he was this good. So, I mean, he's still managed just as a, like, he's under the radar for a lot of people still. Yeah. Um, it's because he lives in Hawaii. <laughs> I think what could hurt, there's a couple of things that could hurt him. One is some people don't know whether to vote for him as a producer or as a performer. He's up here clearly as a performer. Uh, he's kind of had a contentious history with a lot of the people he's worked with. He's yeah some some people some people don't say some nice things about him yes um and he's made it quite plain he's not uh real interested in the hall his official re- reaction to being nominated again was no comment mm. um he has said he won't play if he's inducted i don't know if that's crazy i can't believe that yeah i will <laughs> well that's, um, that's the same thing mark knopfler said pretty much well, but well, but Mark but Nobler, I believed it. With Todd, um, I'm kind of like, yeah, you you've never seen a camera you didn't get in front of. <laughs> um, um, and the the his, last year, his fan base, and he has a very solid fan base. They buoyed him up in the voting, and this year he's way down. He's way down there. All right, so um, well, Todd's got my vote. Um, no, just because. So, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm not going to make any bold predictions saying he's going to get in. But you know, I think this is like you know, I do think this is John Oates' pick. Uh, <laughs> it's Daryl Hall's pick. It is, is Daryl. Definitely Daryl Hall's pick. Yeah, Daryl yeah. will induct him when it when it's time. So. I don't. I don't think it's going to be this year, though. All right. Now we've got. Unfortunately, another uh, artist that's passed with us, but uh, still the band is influential. Soundgarden. First, first round nomination, first, first round, first, and they are going in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't, you know, when you think of the Seattle sound, and Mike, tell me different. You think of the Seattle sound, there's like three bands that you think of. Nirvana's mm-hmm. already in. Soundgarden For, is the next one, right? Yeah, well, it's basically, when you think of Seattle sound from the grunge era, you think of basically Nirvana always comes first, Pearl Jam second. Oh, yeah. And then third, of course, is Soundgarden, then like Mother Love Bone, Alice, Alice in Chains. Chains. Yeah. Exactly. And I, the first time I saw Soundgarden was in a warehouse, you know, playing in front of maybe 200 people, 300 people. Wow. And, you know, nobody knew. They were, these were just guys from North Seattle. You know, they, they've just had formed the band Soundgarden and they were amazing. And it's probably seen them probably about eight, nine times over the years. And Pearl Jam's already in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pearl so Jam went in two, two years ago. Gotcha. So, so the other two are already in. I think, you know, it's unfortunate that Chris is no longer with us. Um, I, 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 a friend of mine took me to see, uh, I accompanied him to see Chris on his solo tour and, the I dude blew me away. I just, um, you know, I think he was another guy that was underrated, uh, thought of as a rock guy or whatever, and not really a great, you know, maybe musician, but he, he really was. Um, and he did a Bond theme song. So that's cool, right? That's very true. 
<laughs> so, Chris so Cornell, uh, Chris Cornell was a legend, truthfully. So yeah, I think uh, Soundgarden's got my vote. Okay, they get it. Yeah, I I would not doubt it if they get it. They're going to be getting in first ballot. I think so. All right, and another one. Surprising that it's taken this long for them to show up on a ballot. T Rex. Wow. The original Bang a Gong. Um, this is mostly Mark Bolin. T Rex is essentially Mark Bolin. Uh, the Godfathers of Glam. And actually, Mark was a friend of David Bowie's and was kind of the. He, he kind of spurred David Bowie. David watched what Mark did and. For a few years there was kind of mm, gotcha. used him as kind of a compass to guide him himself off of. So um just influential as far as as glam, and you will find British uh acts like Duran Duran and Def Leopard uh you know, bow at the altar of T Rex. Um What's their story? Are they still around? No, Mark no. died. Uh-uh. Uh, Mark was killed in a uh, car, car accident. Um, gosh, what was it? 70? Yeah, mid-70s, I think. So, five? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Well, um, I think they're another one of those bands that's influential, but I, what are they doing in the fan vote? Probably nothing. Third. I third? mean, no, sorry, Soundgarden's third. Sorry. <laughs> T Rex um, is is the is right above Kraftwerk. They're All they're the down way. there, and that reflects the uh, America America centric view of the hall. We've had very British ballots the last couple of years, and we don't this year. I think almost like ninety percent of the ones that got in last year were British. Yeah, they were, and uh, American fans don't know them as well. So USA, USA. Uh, we'll see if the folks on the uh, uh, voting committee. There's a lot of older British guys on there that we'll remember. So we'll see how that goes. I think yeah. th- I think they have a shot. Okay. I wouldn't call it ironclad, but I think they have a shot. And speaking of bands that have ties with David Bowie. Oh yeah, T Rex. Yep. And thin, of course, then you thin, last but Lizzie. not least, Thin, thin Lizzy. <laughs> what what now what does that mean mike what's it mean in english um <laughs> that, or that does that say it all it kind of says it all you know thin lizzy was a great 70s band but i i could only name like three songs off the top of my head no. whiskey in the jar jailbreak and uh, boys are back in town yeah the boys uh, are back boys are back in town yeah, yeah. but i don't think I don't think they're hall worthy, truthfully. Hmm. Okay. What do you think, Michelle? Again, America centric. Uh British British rockers love them. Um but yeah, I I don't see it happening. Gotcha. Um, where are they on the fan vote? Way down. Um, they are let's see, Thin Lizzy is Above, actually, Todd Rundgren and Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> so okay, wow. So he's actually wow. They're actually eighth down on the list. So that's not a horrible number. They have over a hundred thousand votes. 
So, so um, overall, Michelle, what would you say uh, about this year's like potential class? This ballot, despite having a lot of names that I have wanted to see on a ballot for a long time, I'm kind of with the uh, the hall blogging community. It's kind of less than the sum of its parts, and it was kind of underwhelming when they announced it. That's because the ceremony's in Cleveland. No. <laughs> wow. The ceremony isn't till May 2nd, by the way. They uh, remembered what terrible weather we suffered through. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm in sure. 2018, and they're going to hold off till May. And the voting goes till January. Well, didn't um, we talk about this before? Like, when it's a Cleveland year? It seems like there's less sexy, like, people on the as, ballot. As a rule, yeah. yeah. And and so that would kind of fit in with that, right? Like, Pat's not going to get in, you know, New York, but she'll get in, like, she'll she'll be the star at Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, the headliner, if you will. Um, I'm just so happy to see Pat Benatar, like, getting, not only getting on the ballot, finally, but getting the the I think the respect she deserves by with the fan vote. I mean, it's been such an overwhelming thing that uh, you know, people were even though she probably hasn't been out I mean she's been recording. She's been she's uh, still active. Yeah, yeah, she's still active. She tours, uh she and her husband. And uh but to me, you know, uh when I think especially when I think females in rock and roll you know, for me growing up, Joan Jett was number one and Pat Benatar was right there too. So I, oh, I, I exactly. think, I think uh, you know, I think they need to get in. So um, it'll be interesting but, to see. And of course, you know, go vote. You can go vote right at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voting website. Ends when? Pardon me? Voting ends when? Uh, not till January. Like oh, Jan- wow. January 5th or something. That yeah. seems late. It's a ridiculously long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you can vote uh, every day uh, on uh, Google. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's to, a Google vote. It's a Google vote or go to rockhall.com. Well, rockhall.com redirects you to Google this year. They, Does it? Out, they, oh, yeah, they've, out, they've outsourced it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah, it's cool. I, It'll be interesting to, to convene uh, early next year to see who gets in. Oh, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Real quick, is there anyone you could predict for next year? Or do you want to wait till January when we find out? Well, Michelle, out? you were pretty good, you know, with your blog and everything. You were pretty good at predicting a big chunk of these this I year. I got, uh, I think, seven or like seven and a half, giving giving myself half credit for Sharka, which I think is my best showing. That's awesome. Now, <laughs> was there somebody that you predicted that for sure this year that you're really surprised is not on the ballot this year? Uh, oh goodness, my brain is so fried I can't even remember who all I predicted. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. I'm actually shocked uh, Duran Duran didn't get on. That's it. Yeah, Duran Duran. Yeah, I think Duran Duran will be on next year. Okay, because it'll be a LA show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. It uh, won't be in Cleveland, so it'll be. It's. It's supposed to go back to New York. Now, the new um, uh, president of the board, John Sykes, says, oh, we're looking at doing more things in L.A., so we'll see. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Duran Duran will be on that ballot for sure. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to, next year, you'll probably have Duran Duran. 
I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if someone, you know, if they get somebody like, I would love to see, they might be giants on the, the ballot. Oof, I, I think that that's a really tough one because, but they don't have the sales. That's the problem. Yeah. But they're no sales. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to go out and say it. Weird Al Yankovic needs to be on. Oh, that would be amazing if he was on the ballot, but it's a travesty that he has. Weird Al Al is one of those acts that kind of like the monkeys that I think they're just, the the rock hall takes themselves too seriously and they don't want that. that, They feel like that um, is a insult to the rest of the people who are in the hall, which I know that we don't feel that way. It's yeah, it's sad, but I think that's the way they think. Certainly that's the way uh, Jan Winter thought. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if the new guy, if he's all about marketing, then maybe he can see the benefit with some of that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah. I definitely think so. And I have a list of others, you know, like, you know, they, a couple of years ago, they did like Joan Baez and stuff. Has Harry Chapin been nominated to be put in the rock and roll hall of fame? Nope. I think that's a travesty right there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause you know, there, and there's so many others like his caliber from that era that have been overlooked. So, yeah, the new guy has a background with, uh, he was a co founder of MTV. He was with iHeartRadio. Make of all that what you will. I'm, I'm, I just threw up in my mouth, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, it'll be interesting to see. We won't, we probably won't know for a couple of years just what this is all going to mean. He has talked about improving the diversity of the board and adding more women and adding younger people. So we'll see what happens. Another name that I would put out for next year would be Cindy Lauper. Hmm. I could see that. Me too. Oh, very much so. So, you know, and this is get if they're getting in totally into the MTV era, we, oh, we've got a lot to go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So this should be fun. It's going to be an exciting ride. I think Squeeze should be nominated. That would be amazing. You know, to see. I think they deserve it. And but then again, they're mostly known in the UK. More. Exactly. They, they're only known for two songs here in the US. So. And that's, you know, kind of sad. So, mm-hmm. but we'll get into that more when we'll do a little bit more of a discussion, probably in the, the follow-up. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. And we got somebody in the geek seat. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz. Well, I'm actually recording this on Monday night as I'm waiting for the Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker trailer to drop. This is actually pretty much all I've been able to think about this evening, and I'm thinking about it now, wondering when they're finally going to release it. Can't wait to see what interesting tidbits they might reveal about that film. But I'm going to do my best and try to concentrate on all these movies we have coming up sooner this weekend. First, we've got an action thriller called Black and Blue about a rookie cop who discovers a murder that's been committed by corrupt cops. 
Then we also have a horror thriller coming out in time for Halloween, which is called Countdown, about a young nurse who finds an app that predicts when you're going to die, and she only has three days left to live. So of course she's going to try to find a way to beat the clock and prove the app wrong. Then finally, we have a historical film called The Current War, starring Benedict Cumberbatch as Thomas Edison and Nicholas Holt as Nikola Tesla. I had actually heard a little bit about this one and forgotten about it and didn't realize it was coming out so soon. So I'm looking forward to checking out that one. I'm interested in history and also has a great cast. Finally, on DVD this week, we have one of the Disney live action films, The Lion King. Now, I enjoyed seeing The Lion King, but I would say that it was probably one of my least favorite of the Disney live action movies just because I didn't feel like they did enough to really differentiate the live action one from the animated one, which is really a shame because there are some great Disney live action remakes that really do find a way to tell a unique story. But with the Lion King live action, the visuals are still gorgeous and it's really cool to see the live action animals versus animated, but still it's really hard to top the animated classic and I wish they would have found a way to maybe do something just a little bit different with the live action version. But Anyhow, that's it for the new movies coming out this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog on the ESO Podcast website. This week, I posted a review about another Disney live-action remake, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. My name is Quoth. I tread paths by moonlight that others fear to speak of during the day. I've talked to gods, loved women, and written songs that make the minstrels weep. You may have heard of me. Join Mandy and her friends as they explore Patrick Rothfuss's best-selling fantasy series, The Kingkiller Chronicle. You can find us at castrequest.com or on the ESO Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is the Geek Seat segment, and we are very happy to be here with Gail Martin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here too. And we are thrilled to have you join us for our countdown to Halloween. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, as Gail Z. Martin, um, I write epic fantasy, urban fantasy, and steampunk. I've got about 30 books out there right now with wow. more coming. Awesome. Um, probably one of my best-known series is Chronicles of the Necromancer with Summoner. Uh, but there's quite a bit of other uh, stuff out there, including Deadly Curiosities, which is all about getting cursed and haunted objects out of the uh, wrong hands and saving the world from supernatural threats. And that, that's been uh, one of my big urban fantasy series. Um, I love anything that has to do with uh, ghosts, vampires, magic, the supernatural. And uh, so I, I love all of those things. And then as Morgan Bryce, I write urban fantasy, male, male, paranormal romance. So there's just, and there, there are another eight books or so in that direction. So yeah, uh, I kind of live this stuff. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah. So, so now by the, so when Halloween rolls around, so this month, this season, is this your, like, are you get jazzed by it or is it something that you're like, Oh, I do this every day. No, absolutely. Um, Halloween is a huge season for me. I, I have the, you know, funky seasonal sweaters. Uh, I, I have Halloween socks. Uh, I decorate the house inside and out. We're the house, we're that house with the 12-foot inflatable dragon with the articulated robotic wings and the 7-foot dragon and, and the neighbors come up and take pictures in front of them. 
and you know the huge pumpkins and the, the archways with the ghosts and the spooky music yeah we're that house except this year we won't be decorating because i'm going to a supernatural convention so <laughs> my ah, okay as a, as a guest i would take it yeah so once again you know right up my alley scooby-doo for adults yes right well and yeah there are ties direct ties uh, oh, with scooby-doo and supernatural right so yeah, we'll get into all of that in a little bit, but uh, yeah, so right now, so how long have you been writing and what brought you to sort of writing urban fantasy? Well, uh, I've been published since 2007, but I've pretty much been writing all my life. Um, and as I mentioned, my, my stories are all full of necromancers and ghosts and vampires and immortals and curses and haunted places and things that go bump in the night, both on the epic side. And on the urban fantasy side, my um, one of my other urban fantasy series is The Night Vigil, and that's an ex-priest and a former FBI agent hunting uh, demons in Pittsburgh. And then the uh, Spell, Salt, and Steel series that I co-write with my husband, Larry Ann Martin, is a snarky monster hunter in the wilds of Pennsylvania. And it is actually part of the expanded universe from John Hartness's Bubba the Monster Hunter series that we all have tie-ins for. I uh, I also have three series as Morgan Bryce. Witchbane is a uh, guy whose younger brother got killed by a, uh, was murdered by a dark warlock, and he vows vengeance and doesn't expect to fall in love with the warlock's next intended victim. Badlands is a psychic medium and a skeptical cop hunting down supernatural killers in Myrtle Beach. And Treasure Trail is a guy who used to hunt down art fraud and uh, an ex-Newark cop chasing uh dealing with a cursed hotel and mafia ghosts in cape may new jersey um so you know i i kind of live this stuff absolutely and and it sounds like you run the gambit i mean whether it's vampires werewolves ghosts supernatural devil worship it sounds like it's all in your wheelhouse yeah pretty much is i realized when i could proofread the latin rite of exorcism on site without having to look it up I might have passed some sort of milestone. Okay, now I'm only slightly terrified. <laughs> <laughs> if you start reading from the Necronomicon, then I'm, we might have to end this. Nah, no, no, no. I only say that, you know, for, for really, truly family special occasions. <laughs> That's what you do on Halloween. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so... As far as with that, though, I've always been curious because in particular with, um, you know, a lot of these legends, a lot of these supernatural entities, characters have been around for a long, long time. Do you find it challenging to either maintain those legends or bring something new to them? Or do you try to bring something new to them? Um, Well, you know, my... My undergraduate degree was in medieval history, and I've had a love of folklore and myth all my life. And I think one of the things that fascinates me about a lot of these legends is how um, how immortal the legends themselves are, that they have something that is so intrinsically fascinating or so intrinsically human to them that they get passed down from century to century and millennia to millennia. and the core legend usually doesn't change that much. And so when I borrow from myth and folklore and legend, I, uh, I try to be respectful of its origins uh, and its, its cultural ties. 
I try to know what the original legend is before I take any authorial license. And I mean, sometimes you have to just to, to make a story work with it. Mm. Uh, but I try to remain as true to the original as I can while maybe coming at it from a different perspective or bringing a different insight into it or, or showcasing it in a different setting, like an urban fantasy setting where there's now something a little fresh and new about it. Gotcha. And it sounds like, at least I know with Hartness's series with the Bubba series in particular, it's got that tongue in cheek sort of uh, humorous aspect to it as well that, uh, you know, much like what we're probably going to talk about with Scooby-Doo really works as a nice balance. Um, some series more than, than others. Certainly the, the Spell, Salt and Steel series is more on the comedic horror side because it is part of the Bubbaverse, mm-hmm. as we refer to it. Um, Sons of Darkness is probably on the other side for being uh, more of a read this with the lights on kind of thing. Um, Deadly Curiosities is kind of in the middle, although I did have one book reviewer who told me that she loved the book, but she couldn't turn the lights off after she finished reading it. So I, I, you know, felt maybe a little bad. Uh, Not a whole lot bad, but a little bad. Uh, She's a very nice lady. I didn't mean to scare her. But um, so I kind of run the gamut on that. Uh, But that's the creep factor that I love. And that's that's what I loved about Scooby-Doo. That's certainly what pulled me in as perhaps a slightly obsessive supernatural fan uh, it is that um, that folklore factor and that creep factor. And, and do you find that personally, and when you do these stories, you have to go to, you have to visit dark places yourself uh, uh, to, in order to, to make, you know, to write these and create these, these environments. Yeah. My family's kind of resigned that whenever we go on vacation, I book a cemetery tour um, you know, th- this holds true around the world. I, you know, we did the, the catacombs in Rome and the Capuchin crypts that have all the um, interestingly posed skeletons of the monks. And um, we've been, I've been to cemeteries in uh, Richmond and Pittsburgh and um, up and down the New England coast and uh, Savannah and Charleston. Um, I love cemeteries. They are fascinating historically, culturally, and um, boy, they're they're fodder for some great stories. Nice, nice. Well, okay. Well, Mike, I think she's uh, primed and uh, and ready to be um, uh, strapped into the seat, if you will. <laughs> well, she does look like she has, in a comfy chair. Should we just use her chair and just? use the tape and bungee tonight <laughs> maybe maybe that would be easier she does uh, uh we might have to make them a little tighter because it sounds like she's really used to uh like a lot of these uh dark situations oh she is she is she's been to the graveyards in richmond that takes a lot of guts right there <laughs> so i do understand that a lot all right gail you ready for your first question in the geek seat i sure am let's get started with what was your favorite geek out moment well, I've, I've been going to conventions for a very long time, so there have been, you know, a number of them. Probably my most recent one was I was at uh, Raleigh GalaxyCon, and I had to seek out a, um, a health food restaurant because I was actually, I, I needed a handful of fresh kale for Gishwes, which is the greatest internet scavenger hunt the world has ever seen that Misha Collins does for uh, Random Acts, and I'll spare you why I needed the kale but I needed to find some place in downtown Raleigh. I could get a handful of kale and I turn around and behind me is Felicia day. 
Uh, and yeah, total geek out fangirl moment. I, uh, try, I try, you know, managed not to blow her cover, but I did, you know, come up to her and, and thank her very much for Charlie Bradbury, uh, her character on Supernatural, as well as, um, you know, many other things she's played. Of course. And, you, you know, the squeeing that came from you, everyone was like, why is that strange woman squeeing all the time? <laughs> well, there's the, you know, there's the actor fangirl moments and then there's the author fangirl moments. And, you know, that, that, First time I was on a panel at a convention as a professional author with two of my favorites and, and my inspiration and the people I was reading in high school when I could say, oh, someday I want to grow up to be like them. I was, I was in between Mercedes Lackey and Catherine Kurtz, and it was like, oh, just pinch me because I have, you know, this, I can't believe this. Yeah, definite fangirl squeak. That's awesome, though. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Um, you know, I, I've had very few, thank heavens, but probably one of them was when, um, I, uh, I took my son to see a celebrity at Dragon Con and, and my son was younger at the time. And, uh, for whatever reason, and I never really did get the inside scoop, the celebrity didn't show up. And, uh, yeah, that's always disappointing, but, uh, I, I'm sure he had a good reason, you know, and, uh, but that was, that was kind of disappointing, you know, mostly because I had to explain it to my kid. No, that's always, you know, because you expect, look, it's this. And they're like, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, and he knew who it was. So it was like, oh, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Shiny object. He was at a distractible age. So it worked out okay. <laughs> okay. What geeks you out the most? Um. Well, for the past couple of years, you know, it, it's been supernatural. I definitely went down that rabbit hole much harder than uh, I ever expected to. And uh, it feels good to fangirl over something like that because I, I did, um, you know, at other points in my life and then life got in the way and all this adulting stuff, you know, what's with that? And um, there's just something really satisfying about uh, my current obsession with supernatural. No. Nope. Totally understand that. Supernatural does that to a lot of people, you seem to found. And that's, uh, is this the last season? Did they announce that? Yes, is that right? it, it is, is the last season. So are, are you sad? Uh, yeah. I mean, or, is it, or is it time? Um, I think it is, I totally understand their desire to want to go out on their own terms and go out when it, the show is still strong. And these guys have been commuting from Vancouver to Austin for 15 years and they have kids and they have families and you know, it, it's time. I can appreciate that. But as a fan, you know, it's, it's a wonderful um, cultural icon. It's a wonderful story. And I don't think it will ever die. Um, it's just, we'll, we'll have to turn to fan fiction for new episodes from here on out. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you know, I'm glad they're ending it on their own and not being canceled or, you know, and the show almost ended a couple different times. So it did. It was originally envisioned as a five season arc. That's what Kripke originally sold. And it then took on a life of its own and year by year and sometimes two years at a time got extended. There's a running joke in, in the fandom that it has run 10 years longer than was originally planned. So somebody obviously sold their soul. Um, but I'm pumped. I can neither, I can neither confirm nor deny, but 
But yeah, I agree. It lets them wrap up the story as opposed to some sort of rushed, oh, we had three three episodes left to tie a bow on it after 15 years. So yeah, I, I think we'll get a better ending out of it this way. But endings are always sad. Oh yeah, of course. Look at, you know, so many of our favorite shows mm-hmm. and so many of them we went, eh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Supernatural won't go that way. It, it's been doing a really strong showing, so I, I have faith. Okay. This might go into that question anyway. What turns your geek off? <laughs> um, bad writing. And, you know, it's it's hard as an author to um, to consume media because you never really completely turn your editor brain off. And so if scripts aren't logical characterization is all over the place. Um, Characters just seem to do whatever is necessary in the moment, regardless of what their past or their arc has been. That's very hard for me to overlook. Um, When, especially when it's not just a bad episode here or there, but it's kind of disaster of the week. I could totally see that. I truly could see that. And, you know, right. You know, that, gets right into what you were talking about before, even with how shows ended and such. Mm-hmm. So that totally makes sense. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Uh, well, probably Sam and Dean. Um, man, I'd love to buy them a couple of drinks and just hear, hear their stories um, told in their own words. That, that would be wonderful. I totally could understand that. They're- Belly up to the bar, buy a bottle of whiskey and just let them roll. Oh, yeah, and they could keep it probably going for days. Oh, yes. And the things that they would tell you probably would make your hair white. Oh, wait, sorry. I see notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, wait till I, the books that these come out, you know. Oh, type yeah. of, so I totally understand that. What fictional character would you not like to meet? Any of the bad guys, um, really. Any, any of the monsters, any of the slashers, uh, yeah. Uh, I, am, I am strictly an armchair hero. Yeah, I could. I think most of us on the show are like that. You know, we're we're great when we you know could talk a big game, and then the, like the doctor would be going, "Okay, into the TARDIS." I say, "Well, maybe not." You know. <laughs> well, when I'm writing the story, I I also control the ending. <laughs> no. That is the omniscient author piece. No, of course, that totally makes sense. And that's the great thing about writing your own stories because you can, you could make it, you seem so brave and so, you know, gallant. And then, you know, real life, <laughs> this is me behind the typewriter on the keyboard. Oh, my characters are very brave and gallant. I'm just not them. Oh, exactly. <laughs> what is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Oh, probably we've got work to do, which is very much of a supernatural catchphrase. Oh, yeah. It's basically, you know, their version of "Oh boy." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right there when you when you slam the trunk. Um, exactly. Or you know, <sighs> we got work to do. Yeah, folks, we've got another mystery on our hands. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about it. Totally understand that. What's your ideal geek occupation? I am very fortunate in that it's what I do every day. I write genre fiction full-time for a living, and I create 
uh, fictional worlds and heroes and monsters and epic clashes. And uh, I am so lucky because I have my geek, uh, my geek occupation. And I and I get to go to conventions and sit on panels and talk about things like vampires and werewolves and and um, ghosts and with a totally straight face with a, a panel of my my colleagues and uh, it just doesn't get any better than that. Nope, totally understand that. You know, it's you know a geek's fantasy to be able to do what you know they're passionate about. This is what I wanted to do from the time I was fourteen. Really? Uh, yeah, I knew when I was fourteen I wanted to write epic fantasy and I did medieval history as a uh, college uh, major and then I got an MBA in marketing so I could afford typing paper that was pretty much my side gig and um, it you know it took a while (laughs) it didn't happen for another you know umpteen years but yeah this is what I always wanted to do cool what geek occupation would you not like to do um I'm probably not visually oriented enough to be behind the camera and, you know, trying to film a TV show or a movie. Uh, I, um, I'm great with words, not so great with pictures. So I'll, I'll leave that to somebody else and, and give them all the kudos for it. That's very nice of you. <laughs> That's a good thing. Cause you know, some people can do it. Some people can't. And I always hate it when the people that try and they they fail miserably. It's so, really important to know which of those you are and stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. But some people have the ego that they are like, oh, yeah, okay, we can't tell them any different. And some people truly can do all of it and, and hats off to them. That's wonderful. Like I said, I do words. Mm-hmm. Nope. Totally understand that. Are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? I, I sure am. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? You know, I was so disappointed as a kid when I realized that when I got to be a teenager, I really wasn't going to get to solve mysteries. Between Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, I mean, I had been lied to. And I think that whether it would be, you know going somewhere with the Scooby gang or with the Winchesters and actually solving a mystery and living through it. That would be a lot of fun. The living through it part is very important. Oh yeah. Living through it is always the big part. Scooby. You're not so worried about, but with the Winchesters, Winchesters, that's a whole nother story. Well, well, yeah. Uh, And, and it all depends on which version of Scooby, how much risk you're at. So that's true. Uh, you could be in trouble. Yep, exactly. Well, Gail, I got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seat. Congratulations. Huzzah! Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $80.04. There you go. Thank you very much. So, very cool. Well, um, for those people who want to check out uh, your books, your work, where should they go? Sure. Um, you can find everything uh, under the Gail Z. Martin name at gailzmartin.com. And on the Morgan Bryce side, it's morganbryce.com. I try to make it really easy to find me. And of course, everything's on Amazon. Some stuff is in bookstores. Um, but uh, 
and, and everything, almost everything's in both uh, paperback ebook and uh, audio book. So I, I'm pretty findable. Awesome. Well, we will have links to those in the show notes so that people thank can you. go click on there and check your work out. And thank you. And uh, yeah, we are going to keep you in the seat and uh, we're going to take a little break and then we'll be right back and talk about Scooby-Doo. We don't have to untire before we let it start. No, the that's, oh. that's not part of the deal. No. <laughs> okay. Cool. No. no, we never untie them. Nope, nope. It's the job to get out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome back to the Air Station One podcast. That's right, gang. It's time to go into Scooby-Doo, and it's time to talk about the 50th anniversary. Zoinks, let's get going. Zoinks, jeepers, jinkies, and creepers. Scooby-Doo is 50 years old. Ah, wow. I can't believe it. Is that dog years? I don't know. Oh, God. Um, no. <laughs> but, That'd uh, be 350, dude. Scooby and the Scooby gang has been an, a, a you know, major influence over the past 50 years. And yes, I can't wait to talk all about it. Of course, Gail is still uh, strapped in the chair. She's, she's still here with us. That's right. <laughs> and we've also got joining us Mark McRae. Mark, thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And, and, and wonderful to be here. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, your new book is all about like Saturday morning cartoons. So I knew you were the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, it's a passion of mine. Um, when I was a kid, I talked about cartoons and companies so much that my mom thought that Hanna-Barbera was actually this woman I couldn't stop talking about. She didn't understand. <laughs> well, in some ways guys. it was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. So, um, so yeah, let's get right into it. Um, I want to hear about everybody's first encounter with Scooby-Doo, if, uh, if they can recall it. Because I know that mine, you know, it seems to me that it's almost like he's always been there. Uh, I know that I'm a little older than Scooby, but not by much. And it's hard for me to imagine a time where there wasn't Scooby-Doo. 
And uh, what's weird for me is that I didn't, I wasn't aware that the cartoons that I was watching in the 70s were actually five, sometimes 10 years old, right? Like they, they, they showed a lot of cartoons back in the day. Uh, they packaged them so that we had no idea. We were watching like older material, but it felt timeless. It didn't feel old to us. Well, that, um, so, so, Gail, what was your first experience with Scooby? I, I was going to say that that repackaging was certainly true with the Looney Tunes cartoons and the Bugs Bunny cartoons, which sometimes oh, yeah. were a whole lot older than five or ten years. Yeah, we're talking about uh, stuff from the 40s. Yeah, but I, I watched Scooby-Doo live in real time. I was one of those kids in the jammies with the cereal in front of the TV, uh, you know, back when Scooby-Doo was first, you know, broadcast. And so I've been with them from the very beginning. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, really... Do you, do you remember never... the debut? Uh, I remember that it was my very favorite TV show. And I also then broadened it from there to, you know, you went through the whole phase in the the early and mid-70s where everybody had the knockoff group, whether it was um, Jabberjaw or Josie and the Pussycats or... Uh, Funky Phantom or the Chan Clan or all of those, you know, right. it was all that four, four or five teenagers, a mascot, and we have to have a musical number in the middle, usually yeah. when people are running in and out of doors. Uh, and I loved all of them because, um, you know, Scooby-Doo and Nancy Drew and, and Dark Shadows, the original TV show, um, I, I credit them all for what I am today which is a fiction writer, not a vampire, although it's a close call. <laughs> you keep the same hours, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but for the record, my favorite uh, sort of knockoff was Clue Club. Um, yeah, Clue Club that, was great. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. So, Mark, what about you? When, when were you introduced to Scooby and the Gang? I, I was there at the beginning as well. Um, and I, I remember the first episode, uh, I, I believe it's titled What a Night for a Night. Yep. And uh, I remember that they have to sneak, you know, into the, mu- into the museum just to, mm-hmm. you know, snoop around. And they make this reference to, uh, to how Shaggy is on the gymnast team and how, you mm-hmm. know, he would be the best person to, you know, get into the museum. And, and so I just remember that kind of reference kind of staying in my head and thinking, okay, are we going to actually see episodes of these kids? when they were in high school and that never happened. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't care. I was like totally pulled in and Mm -hmm. I'd love Scooby. And I just thought he was such a cool character. And uh, they sort of remind me of the Archies a little bit, except that I thought that uh, they had really cool um, character designs. That was another thing that pulled me in. I thought that all the characters looked really beautiful. You know, I thought uh, Daphne, and Velma uh, looked great. You know, Velma, you hadn't seen a character really look like that on Saturday morning before. And Fred looked cool with his, his ascot. And um, Shaggy was just this character you wanted to get to know right away. So um, I was there from the very beginning. And I remember one day my older brother came home with some Chinese food and I sort of helped myself. And the next day I was so sick it was Saturday morning and I just remember watching Scooby-Doo and that Scooby-Doo episode just being a comfort to me, you know, um, back in the day. And, you know, you, you brought up the, the, um, appearance of the gang. 
it was so important to me that Velma was a smart girl who wore glasses because um, that was something you never saw. If you had the, the brainy girl and God forbid she wore glasses, she was usually kind of the butt of the joke. And Velma was right in there, a, a valued friend and member of the team with something to contribute. And that, that representation was so important to me. Oh, and it also was a guarantee that if Velma lost her glasses, mm-hmm. the mon- they would find the monster mm-hmm. right there. That was there. pretty much a, gu- a guarantee. She <laughs> exactly. Lose her glasses. I think that happened every other episode. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, Mike, what about you? Uh, Scooby-Doo goes back as far as I could remember. And that goes a long way. So probably want to say first time I really remember Scooby-Doo is probably 71, 72 and, you know, watching, you know, the original series when it was still being aired and, you know, then what I remember more clearly, of course, like the Scooby-Doo team ups they had, like when he started Mm -hmm. teaming up with like the Adams family and Batman and Robin and the different celebrities like Sonny and Cher, Mama Cass, and the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, stuff like that. Uh, of course. Yeah. So those that's when I remember it mostly. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was like, to me, it was always goofy because, you know, Scooby would do anything, be scared as anything until a Scooby snack came out, you know. And that's that's something that's disappeared a lot from the show because it used to be Scooby. Well, you do this for three Scooby snacks, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, like that. Yeah. 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 You know, that type of thing. Cause and now they just made him and Shaggy, the big scaredy cats. More, but more but they're still the Scooby and Shaggy may run away from things, but if you look at the classic, um, the, the classic setup of each episode, they're usually the heroes. They come oh, back. Of course. With- right thing at the end despite their fear and and that's all also kind of one of those things you internalize as a kid is it's okay to be scared you just do the right thing anyhow it always kind of cracked me up uh, i'm sorry no it's about about how um you know they were they were they were pretty much obsessed with food Mm -hmm. oh god yeah oh yeah only you know the the scooby snacks but there's one episode where they are actually at the malt shop and um uh, Shaggy and Scooby order ice cream and liverwurst together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, who would eat that? You know, stoners, damn it. Stoners. Yes. Which in one of the live action episodes, there's there's a not very veiled reference to that where, you know, the back doors of the mystery machine open and this cloud of smoke comes out and yep. and shag you're in there stuffing doritos into their face mm-hmm. well look at what kevin smith did with them in jay and silent bob strike back and you know the reference they did there and they were total stoners in that yeah. and you know it's jay and silent bob so it kind of fit sure 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 well there's all sorts of things that have come out of you know i mean now you know we've got we've got sexy Velma all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and like, and like almost, cons. yeah, she, Velma's almost like the sexy one now and Daphne's not. not. So um, Mark, I want to get back to what you, something you said though, when you were saying that uh, you recognize the style 
because it was very much like the Archies. And from what I understand, um, that was intentional, uh, very intentional right. when they uh, when they created the show. The Archies were very popular, so they were kind of trying to spin off that sort of popularity. And they put in a little bit of everything. They put in a little bit of uh, Dobie Gillis. They put in a little bit of elements of like all this other stuff. And it's sort of this mixture that just came out perfect, right? Um, right from the first episode. Yeah. I rewatched that first episode recently because it's been a while. And it's free on Comcast, by the way. So if you can just dial, you can just dial it up and watch the very first episode. And it, it, it's, ex- it, it's exactly what you expect Scooby-Doo to be right from the beginning, right from that first episode. It the template is there, um, you know. Everything is exactly the way it will play out for the next fifty years, almost. And you know, it, it's very interesting because the Crime Reads blog had um, an article just last month on how Scooby Doo revived Gothic storytelling for generations of kids, and the whole, all of the trappings of Scooby Doo in the decaying mansion, and the the ghosts, and the you know hidden hidden secrets and all that, it really also takes quite a page from that gothic tradition reimagined and reinvented. And, and it's kind of become a template through Scooby-Doo for, you know, a couple of generations now of uh, viewers and kids. I, I think that's right. And I think also it introduced like a lot of us kids to a procedural <laughs> <laughs> you know, like got us got us used to getting ready. So when we grew up, we could get addicted to Law and Order, right? Um, yeah. dun, dun. But I well, wanted to um, entering part. Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, um, you know, you had referenced the Archies. Well, the story goes, um, you know, Lou Scheimer was one of my mentors, and he worked. You know, he was in charge of the competing studio uh, filmation uh, that you know gave Hanna Barbera a pretty good run for its money. Um, in terms of ratings and renewals. And he said that during the pitch season, you know, his partner, Norm Prescott, uh, producing partner, was down at CBS. And um, Hanna-Barbera's agent walks out of Fred Silverman's door at CBS. And you can hear Fred Silverman in the background saying, go put Archie in a haunted house. And supposedly, you know, that was, you know, Hanna-Barbera's starting point. And then years later, um, I had a conversation on an email exchange with uh, Ken Spears, who's one of the head writers for Scooby. And he said, you know, the intention was for Scooby and his friends to be, you know, in a musical group. Just oh, like yeah, they were the supposed to be, like, yeah, they were supposed to be a band. They're supposed to be a band. I mean, they don't, you know, he didn't mention the Archies per se, but he just right. said they were supposed to be a musical mm-hmm. group. And then they decided, you know, you know what? The music aspect isn't working, so let's just drop it. And it actually worked better for the show. But during the second season, you know, they they put in, uh, there were eight episodes that were renewed for the second season, and they put in the, uh, the, the music in the background with the characters being chased by whoever's in the ghost costume or who's ever in the monster costume. And... Uh, they use that aspect, but uh, they, you know, they found a way to get music in the series without the characters themselves being in a band, which I thought. And a couple of those songs were by Davy Jones from the Monkees. Oh, yeah. Actually, he also appeared in Scooby-Doo. Yes, he did in one of and, the and, uh, And I think, ironically enough, I think that's one of the ones, there's one episode that he's in. And I think that's one of the episodes that's not available on DVD, mm-hmm. is that correct? 
because I, of rights I, issues? I would have to look that up, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know that there's a few, but there's a few. The Adams family is one of them that is not. A oh yeah, 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 that's right. Because right. of the rights issues, yeah, which is too and, bad. Ahead, I think there is one too. What's uh, that? I think the Sonny and Cher episode is also one of gotcha. the ones available. Um, yeah, because they had no idea. They had no idea when they were making these. Like, and that you know that it, it is a, as a true staple of back then. Uh, there was no such thing really uh, as 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 at least people having VCRs or people have or even really being able to watch stuff over and over again. So, uh, a lot of my favorite shows from the '60s and and even early '70s, uh, like The Adams Family and Batman and Get Smart are like, they have to make sure they get the taglines in every episode. They have to, there's a lot of similar, there's a lot of things that they do over and over and over again. When you binge watch these things now, it's kind of hard because they seem really repetitive. But I remember back then, I was, uh, and even now, I'm astounded at, even though the template is pretty much the same, the outline, the structure of the story is the same every episode, they managed to just put something new and ex- and funny in there, and at night, whether it's a gag or uh, one of the spooks, the way that the visually they look, or something, <laughs> where you're kind of like, I I like watching this. I'll watch this again, and I'll watch this again, and that's that's an amazing testament to the way that they produce that show um, because of the structures is pretty simple, and it well, doesn't really change a lot. The quality of the animation in the original Scooby episodes, yes, you pass the same potted plant umpteen times as they run down the hall. <laughs> but there the detailed cells behind them, the, there was an, an awful lot of artistic detail in those establishing shots. When you look at that castle on the, the craggy hill or you know, they, they really did some beautiful art in that uh era and that that's worth looking at just in and of itself. Oh, exactly. And for the original too, you know, like we keep on saying, you know, whenever they were chased, they had the music playing, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything. And that was always, and had the montage, you know, them running through the different doors and then running up the stairs, down the stairs, through the shower, you know, that whole thing. And it was always great to see. And to this day, I'm going to, you know, people couldn't argue with me, but I think it still has the best theme song. I don't. I'm not, I, I, yeah. Well, I'm not going to argue. I think it's one of the best for sure. Oh, oh, definitely one of the best. One of the yeah, best. It is songs. for any of the Scoobies. I think it's to mm-hmm. me. It's my. It's my favorite. And I don't know if it was because it was my first one, and you know, you know, it just. I just loved it, and you know, and you've had like even like people like Matthew Sweet uh, redo it for the Saturday morning cartoon CD. And it was, it was just awesome. And Scooby Doo was a close second. I think that one is at least singable and hummable. And I think they did a nice job with that, but you know, it's not the original. Which like Scooby, Scooby Doo, that one. Yeah. Yeah. that one. Scooby Doo. Where are you (laughs) over here? (laughs) So, um, I, I also, in addition to the structure, I also have to just uh, the, I admire the longevity. Um, you know, the original series, you know, went for, what was it, three years, two years, right? And then yeah. they revamped yeah, it. Yeah, the original series, it ran from uh, 69 to uh, 71. 
And then in 72, they introduced the new Scooby-Doo movies. Right. And, you know, Hanna-Barbera sort of took a page out of Filmation's uh, playbook by, um, instead of trying to get a series renewal, you just come in with a whole new package, a whole new entire show. And so back in those days, a network would buy an entire new show as opposed to trying to get the network to just buy a second season of episodes. And so that's where the new Scooby-Doo movies originated from, over the fact that even though Scooby-Doo Where Are You was still getting decent ratings after a couple of seasons, um, they could not, the network would not buy any more episodes. They were happy with, you know what, we got 25 episodes in the can. We'll just run those over and over again. The kids won't mind. And so uh, presenting a whole new Scooby-Doo with guest stars uh, that was the way to go for Hanna-Barbera. And originally, that concept was going to include um, outside uh, companies like Marvel. So it was going to be Scooby teaming up with uh, superheroes. It was going to be Scooby and Spider-Man. But that was one of the early ideas that kind of went out the window, maybe because of rights issues or maybe because Marvel didn't necessarily want to um, you know, work with Hanna-Barbera. I'm not exactly sure what happened, hmm. but they settled Man. for the new Scooby-Doo movies. With now I'm thinking of all those possibilities. Animation. I'm like, that even that had not even occurred to me, Mark. I was like, um, that's that would be amazing. Now, well, let me well, ask you this. Of, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, one quick. of the things that strikes me about Scooby-Doo, um, and, and as I admitted, I'm, I'm a cartoon addict. I, I've tried to buy all the DVDs of, of my childhood favorites is that Scooby has aged very well compared to some of the other series. Go back and watch Johnny Quest, and there are some really cringeworthy uh, moments in terms of things that um, oh God, yes. were all right to say back then and are definitely, we're much more aware that they're definitely not right to say now and, and do and perspectives. And Scooby managed to dodge that bullet. Um, Scooby really aged well in those terms. Oh God, you know, when Johnny Quest, look at Haji yeah. or look at, you know, some of the villains, Aye! you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, real quick, Mark, uh, um, real quick, because you mentioned something that I just wanted to see if this, because you mentioned that, you know, um, that's why shows that particularly cartoons only lasted like two or three seasons tops. Um, that's practice still seems to kind of go on today with, especially with cartoons, like shows, will last like four, five, six years. They'll keep running that as long as they can. But it seems like whenever you, I get addicted to or really fall in love with a, a, a cartoon, it's like over. Like they, they just end it like with the two seasons or restart it or revamp it, you know? Yeah. Um, so like back in the day, um, most of the Saturday morning networks negotiated with the studios, they were guaranteed at least two years. Of course, if the ratings were really huge then they would get you know what they call uh refresher episodes for season two or the whole new package but uh these days um you know say at a cartoon network or adult swim um the initial deal might be for uh 13 to 26 and then if those do really well then you go to 52 and then if those do really well um you know, you get over a hundred or so. But back in the day, there was also a certain number 
uh, uh, for syndicators as well. I think the number was 65. If you had 65 episodes, then that meant that your show could be syndicated. Uh, But for the Saturday morning folks, since there was only two or three seasons sometimes, that's when a lot of the repackaging that everyone was (laughs) talking about earlier would happen. And with the Looney Tunes, what I found out um, when I joined Cartoon Network was that that Looney Tunes library was broken into two parts. So pre-1948 was sold to all the local stations, all the uh, syndicated stations. Mm-hmm. Mm, Post-1948 was sold to the networks. And so that's why something like the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour or the Bugs Bunny Tweety Show, or whatever incarnation it was, those cartoons on Saturday morning looked a little newer mm-hmm. than some of the cartoons that were the Looney Tunes cartoons that were airing on the uh, local affiliate. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, you had much more of the the Chuck Jones era in right. those um, network shows, right? The Fritz Freeling era, yeah. the, the, well, the Chuck, Chuck Jones, Jones era. Was from the eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He's got okay. great eyebrows. All right, so back to Scooby. All right, so we all fell in love with the original series, the first, you know, two incarnations, um, and and yeah, we would get new incarnations, new series, new takes, new characters. Added in some cases, some shows would subtract characters mm-hmm. from the from the from the crew. I'm kind of wondering, um, and we'll we'll start with you, Gail. Was there any um, has there been any shows uh, in particular since the 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 core shows in the beginning? Any series that you that you've enjoyed, including like like the movies that have come out in the live action movies? Oh, I I loved both live action movies. I thought they were done well. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit over the break. Um, Scooby Natural, the crossover episode uh, that was just uh, two years ago with uh, the Supernatural cast and uh, Scooby-Doo is totally one of my favorites. Um, And I think series-wise, the What's New Scooby-Doo and Mysteries Incorporated versions, I thought were very well done and entertaining. Uh, and, And frankly, I enjoyed... A lot of the um, animated movies, particularly uh, Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island and Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Cool, cool. Um, what about you, Mark? Yeah, I I liked uh, What's New Scooby-Doo. Um, I thought it was really funny, and I felt that, you know, the writers really got the characters, and they didn't, uh, you know, take themselves so seriously, but still kept that mystery element. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, you had mentioned characters uh, disappearing and reappearing. <laughs> and so one of my favorites is the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. that features Vincent Price. And in that series, you know, there was no Velma or Fred. Instead, you had um, you had Daphne with a, a, a new hairdo, and they decided to give her a redesign. And Scrappy-Doo was there, and they brought in a character <laughs> named uh, <laughs> Flim. Flim Flam? Flim Flam. Flim Flam. Flim Flam. Yes. Flim Flam. Yes. Thank you, Gail. Yes. And um, I think one of the shows that Gail mentioned about Mysteries, Inc., I think there's a whole episode that kind of tells the doomed fate of Scrappy as well as, 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 well as uh, Flim Flam. Scrappy is actually in one of the live action episodes, the, mm-hmm. um, the first one where they explain where, what happened to it. What happened to Scrappy? <laughs> but in Mysteries, in Mysteries Inc., they go to a museum 
and they, they, you know, all the villains are there, and there's like a little blurb about each one, like like their statues, but there's a statue of Scrappy, and and they kind of, you know, Daphne. I mean, yeah, Fred and Daphne decide that it's a topic that they can't talk about. <laughs> and course. standing next to Scrappy is 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 I just can't say this guy's name, Flimflam. And they kind of say that he's in jail because he did something that was terrible or whatever. But I thought it was kind of cool that this other series decided to talk about something that fans probably wanted to hear because those two characters are so disliked by fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scrappy, yeah. Scrappy in particular is the cousin Oliver of the franchise, yes. I think, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, the Brady that's a Bunch good way for this, it. Yeah. The Brady Bunch had this reunion on HGTV where they restored the house, uh-huh. you know, um, and it was a whole, it was a really big deal. And uh, me and my friends kept saying, "I wonder why they didn't invite Cousin Oliver to the reunion." Because <laughs> nobody wants Cousin Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, and look, I felt it at the time. I can remember when Scrappy was introduced, and I it turned me off. So, um, and I, you know, I still watched. I think, uh, but then actually, I think the series after that, like they doubled down on Scrappy. Like it was like, um, you know, I mean, it was Scrappy. Like he was the center of attention, and uh, yeah, that just didn't work for me. So I did like Scooby Doo. Uh, that character, I, I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was more recurring, right? I don't think. Yeah. He- yes. Yeah, he was never a regular. Thank God. Uh, yeah. And and Mark about the thirteen ghosts. I am I am curious about that too, especially since I guess it was just within the last few years they did a movie that they like they finished that right where they had the thirteenth ghost. So right. They yeah. That so arc. I okay. I knew that the movie was coming out, but I didn't know that it actually. Yeah, I think it. I think it is out. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um. I think it's kind of cool that they decided to finish that series because you know, uh, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, um, had this. Uh, what's the word? Uh, it was advertised that this time the ghosts are real, yeah. but it was actually the thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo that um, you know, showed you know real ghostly characters. Mm-hmm. For the first time, but mm-hmm. you know, the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo was produced by Hanna Barbera, and Zombie Island was distributed by you know Warner Brothers, and so there may have been a disconnect as to you know gotcha. uh, information. But um, I just thought it, I always thought Thirteen Ghosts was cool because it did have real ghosts for a change. Nobody running around. In a <laughs> mm-hmm. outfit, running around in a in, in a an outfit, right? Sheet. And and it had Vincent Price too, who was hilarious on that series. Mm-hmm. That's the great Vincent Price. Yeah, I've been watching mm-hmm. a lot of stuff movies that he's been in lately, so I've been enjoying him in October in particular. Um, I I do want to point out for me, um, I haven't been able to catch a lot of the more recent stuff. Uh, so. When doing this ep- for doing this episode, I decided to watch a couple of episodes of uh, Scooby Doo and Guess Who, the new series that's on Boomerang, which you can also get on Amazon or whatever. Um, but uh, and I watched two episodes. One was the Weird Al episode, and one was the Batman episode, which is the most recent one. Uh, the only the fourth time that Batman has um, uh, teamed up with Scooby Doo and the gang. Only and, fourth, you know. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Um, 
And uh, I have to say that after watching the very first episode, I've seen the very first episode and I've seen the very most recent episode of Scooby-Doo. And I can say that there's, there's a lot that hasn't changed. Uh, I mean, they, with that, with the, especially with the, when I was watching the, the guess who um, stories, they really look like they really took what they, what worked back in the sixties, late sixties and early seventies and are using it now and just updating a bit with a little bit more humor and some uh, more contemporary guests. Mm-hmm. So well, I, I definitely recommend it. The one we haven't mentioned at all is a pup named Scooby Doo. Yeah, right. and we just yeah. did. we just did. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. It was silly. It was it it was campy. It was all of that. But uh, I, I got to admit, I, I I have a secret soft spot for that one. Yeah, me too. I like I like a pup uh, named Scooby Doo. Um, uh something about it was was a little you know it was it it, it didn't bother me as much as i thought it would and um i thought it was a cute series i watched it once with william and that was enough <laughs> oh what i loved about the mysteries incorporated series uh version and and it was really the only time that i can think of that they did it with the animated series was not only did you have the episodic uh, episodic arcs, but you had a seasonal arc and you had a series arc and they all built toward a final conclusion. And I thought that was a really interesting approach with Mysteries Incorporated. Yeah. Uh, and they, and the series also dropped in a lot of um, Hanna-Barbera characters in the background. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Uh, it was Susie from the Chan clan she was just drawn in the background. She wasn't saying anything, but if you were a fan, it was like, oh, snap, this Susie from the Chan Clan. And there mm-hmm. were other characters in the show that that the animators, you know, decided to just pull in just for laughs and giggles, just to see if people would see them, you know, little, yeah, Easter, little Easter eggs. eggs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Especially like the Life Olympics stuff and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, it's it's interesting because how the characters, they evolved, but they didn't and everything they always drove around the van they always you know solved the mysteries and you know whenever they pulled the masks off people it was always you know you know i would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you crazy kids and that damn dog you know heck heck talk about not changing i think out of all of them fred has been voiced by the same guy frank weller that's amazing and casey Kasem did uh you know place for decades yeah yeah and that's uh yeah that's amazing to me mm-hmm. and, and now you know we forget how long it's been since the live action ones came out but matthew lillard has been doing shaggy's voice um you know since casey couldn't anymore and uh has done it now for 20 years wow yep exactly it's pretty amazing well, um, I know it's uh, hard to believe, but we've already almost we're almost done. But I, before we get out of here, I want to just hear from each one of you to talk a little bit about, and just real brief about personal influence or just the uh, the impact that Scooby has had uh, over the past fifty years on on everything. So, uh, but just obviously, really general. Um, or uh, we'll start with you, Gail. Uh, I think that I think that Scooby Doo was a prototype for uh, doing those kind of supernatural elements in kids' shows. And, you know, almost 
as a precursor to Harry Potter, I never felt like it talked down to kids. I never felt like it talked down to me mm-hmm. uh, when I was a child or when I had children watching it. And even now watching it as an adult, um, it, it wasn't condescending. And I think that that respect for the audience is a very big piece. So I would yeah. say that that's a lasting contribution. And, and it, it brought uh, generations now into loving that gothic uh, storytelling, that love of the supernatural. Again, when, when you can have a show like that cross over f- 50 years later, with an iconic pop culture show like uh, Supernatural, you're doing something right. Yeah, good call. Mark, what about you? Well, for me, I fell in love with the show from the very beginning. I wanted to be in Scooby-Doo's world because I thought the kids were cool. I thought Scooby was cool. And, uh, you know, it is also like the last series that Hanna-Barbera created that became an ever evergreen brand. And, uh, you know, Scooby-Doo almost ended in the 70s, you know, uh, the series after the new Scooby-Doo movies, um, they, Hanna-Barbera made a deal for the series to jump over the ABC and it, it, and it just did really great ratings there. And that really kept that franchise going. And uh, I couldn't imagine that, you know, a show that started back in 1969 would, you know, still continue to grow and and just become this huge, you know, uh, uh, evergreen brand. And so I just think that, you know, just from a historical point of view, um, it's just cool to know that, you know, I can brag to my kids and tell them, I says, I remember when Scooby was brand new and I remember watching the first episode. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I just think it's wonderful that the, the brand is still going and it, and it ties into a wonderful legacy for Hanna-Barbera Productions. Oh, yeah. And congratulations on being like Scooby-Doo day one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's Uh, awesome. uh, Mike, what about you? Well, for me, you know, I just loved the series itself. I loved the mysteries. I loved the characters. I loved the monsters. They were scary, but not enough to have me hiding behind the couch when I was little. I loved the live action movies they did. I thought they were actually a lot of fun. And, you know, they've actually in some ways have even gotten better in time. And, you know, I haven't seen the new series. The only ones I've seen are the Weird Al episodes. And so I haven't seen anything else. I wasn't a huge fan of the animation style they've gone to with the characters, but that's, each generation has their own, so I'm not going to put it down by any means. But I just love how Scooby-Doo has always remained true to its roots, which is pretty cool. I thought I thought the animation for the the, the new series is is very close to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, some of the shots where they're running look exactly how they did when they were running in '69. You know, like as a group. So I think that there was a series that was pretty weird looking as far as uh, the stylistic of the characters, but that's not, I don't think that's the case now. Um, But in any case, um, well, very cool. Um, For me, um, I grew up with, you know, things like uh, loving things like Encyclopedia Brown, the Hardy Boys, uh, uh, the Haunted Mansion, 
Oh, yeah. um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. All these things that kind of sort of combine mysteries and humor in a way that uh, was really accessible to me. And Scooby-Doo was right in that wheelhouse, probably rose to the forefront. And I'm just glad to see that it's, it's, it's still here today uh, in very much the same format. It's very inspirational. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's, uh, I love, I've always loved the fact that uh, Joss Whedon never hid the fact that, you know, he, he was inspired by Scooby-Doo. I mean, by calling Buffy and his group, the Scooby gang, just like right out there saying like, he just owned it, you know, like this, there's no bones about it. And, the, you know, that's one of the reasons why I loved, I think the Buffy gang uh, in that series, uh, because that, that too was kind of like that as well. So, um, I, I really appreciate the storytelling, the fact that it has the same structure, yet it makes it interesting. It's a very good challenge for writers uh, and, uh, and, and for audiences, too, because, you know, I mean, here you are watching these things and uh, there's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be a big swerve. <laughs> not like you're used to in a lot of shows now. And, and, it's, and it's, it, has, it has fun with dark things without getting too dark, you know, mm-hmm. too edgy. You know, one thing I want to toss in there is there is a um, New York Times bestselling novel that was an homage to uh, the Scooby-Doo series, and it's called Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. And it is a very kind of postmodern adult take on the Scooby gang, and it never completely calls them that, but you know exactly who it is. And for an adult fan, it, it's really a fun read. Awesome. Well, thanks okay. for bringing that up. And thank you all for, for joining me uh, and joining us for this episode. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and we will be right back. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the card and meeple game, The Floor is Lava. So I haven't talked about a game in a while, and I had the opportunity to play a really fun family-styled game this weekend. So for those who are always looking for good, wholesome games to play at home, you know, this would be one of them. Everyone starts off with a pre-constructed hand of cards and a set of wooden meeples. All players place their starting card, touching everyone else's in the middle of the table. And then you place your meeples on top of it that it tells you however many to place. The goal is to sling your cards and knock off the opposing player's meeples while getting your cards to touch the other cards and keeping your meeples on those cards as well. Sounds easy, right? Well, it's a bit more challenging than one would think. Those cards fly and your meeples can be hard to maneuver around depending on where they are to the other players meeples overall it's a lot of fun and a quick and easy game to learn and play a few rounds of a game night so i would highly recommend it and it's a smaller game so it's a little bit cheaper in the price range as well well thanks for listening to a geek girl's take what will i talk about next week well you're gonna have to listen to find out So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here. Gail, thanks so much for being our victim this week in the Geek Seat and joining <laughs> us for the main topic. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
Anything you want to shout out about real quick? Sure. Uh, my uh, next Deadly Curiosities urban fantasy novel, uh, Inheritance, comes out later this week. And I'm really excited to see it uh, hit the stands. Excellent. And we will have a link to that up in our show notes. I appreciate it. But you're not getting out of the geek seat, so don't worry about it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're nope, on your nope. own on that. Yeah, exactly. You can start <laughs> chewing through the wires if you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. Chew through the, the restraints, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Mark, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you. you joining us on Short yeah, Notice. It's my pleasure being here. You know, I love talking about cartoons, and I really love Scooby-Doo. Oh, you were a wealth of information. You probably could have gone in a couple more hours <laughs> at this topic. <laughs> Anything you want to promote or shout oh, out yeah. about? Oh, um, yeah. I am the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. It's a book that chronicles how Saturday morning became a competitive business. It talks about programming trends from the 1960s all the way through the early digital age of the 1990s. There's interviews with people who worked in the industry at the time and show reviews and program schedules. It's all that fun stuff from back in the day. And it's, uh, the book is a real proving ground for why there are 24-hour kid networks. That is awesome. Can't wait to read it. Thank you very, very much. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you're going to shout out about? I do. I do need to give a shout out to, uh, there's a show uh, called, well, actually, it's not a new show. It's a returning show called Creep Show which uh, is on Shudder. If you have an AMC streaming app, Shudder, it is produced by Greg Nicotero of Walking Dead fame and other great things. Um, but he has brought Brad Keep show. Uh, it airs, uh, I think they come up with two new episodes every week. But in particular, there's an episode that's going to air on October 31st, which is Halloween night. And it is called Skinwalkers. It is written by, co-written by Paul Dini and Stephen Langford and stars Dana Gould. But... You, while you may be looking at Dana Gould, play attention to the uh, everybody else in the in the in the background and whatnot because our own, our very own award-winning Bobby Nash will be in that is featured in that episode as well. Yeah. So if you want to see really something scary on Halloween night, Bobby Nash on, on Skinwalkers, TV, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. It's and uh, be- yeah, if you have to get it through the Shutter app, um, but uh, I don't know if it'll be how it'll be available after that. But uh, I'm happy for for Bobby to for uh, for being appearing in that episode. That is awesome. Congrats, Bobby. Uh, my shout out, real quick, is basically over the weekend I went to go see Zombieland too, and my quick review of it is: if you like the first one, you're going to love this one. Stay all the way through the credits because you're if you've been to Dragon Con, you're going to recognize some things in this one. So it's a lot of fun. And that's oh, I was going to say, does Nick Fury show up? I'm not going to say. <laughs> I am so not going to say. But it's going to be awesome. So check it out. All right. And that is going to wrap up this episode for this week. I do appreciate everyone listening. As always, feedback is always welcome at station one at ESONetwork.com. Of course, if you want, please, 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 you know, like we said, feedback is always great. And if you want to help support us, we have a Patreon. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. We would love it for as little as 25 cents a week. You could help support the whole podcast network. Pretty spiffy, I think, you know, pretty cool. So we are done. We will be back again next week when we are going to be looking at Frankenstein. 
not the movies, but the book. That's right, folks. We are going to be basically looking at, you know, the original book. We're going to have the book club crew here, and it's going to be a ton of fun. Oh, yeah, Mark Maddox, too. So we might get a word or two in twice, so it should be cool. With that being said, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we're done. Boom. Awesome. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Scooby-dooby-doo! <laughs>